for Public Radio. Hi everyone, my name is Klaatu, and this is an entry in my age-old Networking Basics series. If you've been around for a while with Hacker Public Radio, then you might remember the first couple of episodes I did on Networking Basics. Those were numbered in the episode, like, 400 range. They were, it was quite a while ago now, and I talked during those episodes about really specific protocols about how networking really worked, like packet transmission and why one packet looked at all different from another packet to different routers and switches and, and how they get sent around to different um, broadcast ranges and, and subnet masks and things like that. So covered a lot of that back in the episode range of 400, maybe some 500s. Took a break from it, taught myself some new stuff, came back around episode 800 or so, I think it was 790 three or something like that with some conceptual stuff about the server-client relationship, which, just to review, I mentioned that servers don't have to be anything fancy. They don't have to be those big rack unit computers that slide into those those four post racks like you see in all the data center pictures that you've seen. A, a server is simply a computer that has some kind of service running on it and that you plug into a network and then everything on that network, I mean as long as it can ping that computer, so as long as you're, it's either on the same subnet or your subnet mask is opened enough so that those subnets can talk to each other, everything on that network can send a request to that server, I should say anything on that network, can send a request to that computer and and ask for some kind of service. And, and in that particular episode, we set up a DHCP server and made that the service that was running on a particular box. But I, I like to remind people that that doesn't necessarily need to be a dedicated box. I mean, for DHCP server, you'd probably want it to be something dedicated, something you're not going to unplug and walk away with from the network, like your laptop. But in terms of the the con- conceptually, servers don't need to be anything special. They can be an old computer that was lying around that you just want to do something with. They can be a big fancy rack unit server that you bought for thousands of dollars. It could be anything. It could even be an embedded little server in your router, which is quite common. So that was episode 790-something. I think in 802 or so, I did a Mara DNS episode, which was how to set up a DNS server on your network, sort of a local uh, caching. It was actually 807. Sorry, I just verified it. 807, a local caching DNS server. And then finally in 820, episode 820, we talked about setting up a proper web server and a MySQL server and kind of establishing that. So that's where we kind of left off. And now I want to get back into networking basics a little bit, just for two episodes, and talk about sharing files over a network. So if you've ever been to an uh, you know, if you've ever worked like in an office environment or a development environment where where there's a lot of people collaborating on some singular project, and there are, or even a school, if you've got, if you've been to a school where there are homework assignments or quizzes or whatever posted on a server that you then have to go and download, or heck, even if you've downloaded a um, a Linux distro an ISO, then the concept is still kind of the same. You've probably seen this environment where there is a common shared folder, sometimes they call it a, a file share or a, a file, um, a shared folder, things like that, network volume. There's different like sort of slang for it, but the, the point is that it's some directory or a set of directories on some computer, and a lot of times it's just kind of, you don't know where it is, it's just out there in the office or in the school somewhere because it's in whatever server room or data center that they have, and you log into this thing or you connect to this shared folder, maybe you log in with some kind of credentials, and then suddenly you've got all these files that are available to you and you can drag them over your desk 
desktop and change them or maybe you have write permissions so you might download something, change it, and then drop it back in so that everyone else can see your, your changes. Maybe you have a Dropbox for your homework assignments. You need to post things into a specific folder so your teacher can get your homework assignment, whatever. I think you, you probably kind of get the idea. There are, I don't know, about that I can think of, like the really popular file sharing services that are used right now in this kind of either corporate or educational environment, although, I mean, certainly you could use it in your home too, would be NFS, SMB, and in my world, uh, AFP. So NFS is the Sun Microsystems Network File System Protocol, or, or system that's redundant, and it does that. It enables you to log into a in, onto a computer that has some kind of directory that is being shared, and you can look and change and modify files and stuff like that. And it's very popular, and I've never used it. SMB is something that really was popularized, I don't think it was actually literally invented by, but it was certainly popularized and kind of they took it and ran with it by Microsoft. So SMB started out as a server message block, that is what SMB stands for, it really doesn't matter because it's actually sort of changed now into something called SIFS, Common Internet File System. Either way, you'll, you'll kind of hear it used interchangeably, SIFS or, or SMB, and it is really just that, it's, it's a it's an alternative or a competitor to something like NFS where you set this SMB or CIFS directory on a server and you start the service and people can log into that server look at a directory with a bunch of files in it that you want them to have access to and they can download it and change it, possibly upload it if you give them permissions to do that. The free implementation of that is called Samba, S-A-M-B-A which is something that Jeremy Allison and a bunch of programmers worked very hard as basically a re-implementation of SMB and CIF, and, and I believe there is a fairly nasty court case to make that possible, because Microsoft is involved. The third that I know of, and, and the, the second the, the uh, second that I'll talk about, because I've, like I say, I've never used NFS, so I'm not going to be doing an episode on it, although if anyone wants to do an episode on NFS and how to set it up and stuff and, and include it in this mini-series, networking basics, then feel free to do that. That would be fantastic. But the the other one that I'm aware of, and certainly the, the one that I use just as much as SMB in, in, in the real world, in, you know, professionally, is AFP, which many of you may have never encountered. I, I hope you haven't. Uh, it's the Apple filing protocol. So it used to be Apple Talk. It is no longer Apple Talk. Apple Talk has been deprecated for quite a while and it is no longer supported by recent OS X installs at all. It's just not even, there's no no support for it whatsoever. So Apple File Protocol is something that, as far as I know, there's no client really f to, to be able to use it, at least in a very user-friendly manner, on, on any other OS. I'm, I'm, I could be wrong. There, there might be some third-party things out there. I'm sure that there's a line command on Linux that you could use to, to do some of it. I honestly don't use that. I just I just SSH into the box from, from Linux and do what I need to do via SSH. But for for the users, at least on Mac OS, there's a it's it's the default system of file sharing. I mean that's that's how it's done. So that's AFP and I'll talk about that not in this episode, but in the next episode. In this episode we're gonna talk about SMB. 
Samba. So setting up Samba is is actually not that hard uh, on a Linux box. Setting up a Samba server so that other computers can log in, look at files, and take them and put them back and change them and all this other stuff is quite easy. It's just as easy as setting up, you know, DHCP or DNS or anything like that, web server. It's just literally installing the application, the, the service, the application that drives the service, turning it on, and uh, obviously a little bit of configuration, but that's all you do. I mean, if there's nothing, once the thing is networked, it's just going to be sitting there on your network, sort of broadcasting or, or waiting for for requests for a computer to be able to log in and look at the files. So you'll, I think you'll be pleased at how simple it is. The way that I'm doing it at my current job is on Red Hat and Fedora Boxen, so that's what this will be based on, which won't be any different really than the Debian version or the Slackware version or probably Arch or anything like that, except with the possible thing that the path of the configuration files might be slightly different. So don't freak out if you're looking for a slash etsy slash samba and it's not there. It's in slash etsy slash default slash smb.conf or something like that. Just be adaptive, be flexible. It should work out. And obviously the command to start the actual service will be different as well, but we'll, we'll go over that in a minute. So yum install samba. That would do it for you. Or aptitude install samba. Pretty simple. That'll install Samba, and that's about it. You're done. Well, okay, you're not done, but but at least you've got Samba installed now. This is on a Linux box that is on the network. So you've got Samba installed. Now you need to configure how Samba is going to look at look to your users on the network. This is all done in the smb.conf file, which you probably will find in slash etsy slash samba slash smb.conf so you can open that up in your favorite text editor and you'll see that it's a pretty verbose file there's a lot of comments there's a lot of help for you as you kind of step your way through the file and a lot of it is just it's all correct it's already kind of configured for a, a normal kind of obvious setup that you could nearly just kind of use as is but we'll, we'll change a couple of things so the first thing to be aware of if you do if you are in a multi OS environment that you might want to configure the work group now in the in, in the actual big installation that I use this service for I don't do wind windbind which or the netbios whatever it's whatever the term is. I don't do all that stuff. I'm just doing everything over TCP IP with IP addresses. So that's how I have it set up. So the work group for me actually doesn't matter. But if you are in an environment where they actually do have Windows servers involved and there is a work group that actually matters because if you're not in that work group then you won't be able to see something else or whatever then you may need to set your work group but uh, for me I've, I've never actually had to do that but be aware that that's something so you can kind of read through the rest of the configuration file and honestly until you get down to the big dotted line called share definitions there's probably st not a whole lot of stuff that you would need to really change. Mostly it's all set up to go. You don't really have to change anything until you get down to share definitions. Share definitions is sort of where you decide who is going to be able to see what stuff on your on your server. The format is quite simple. They give you an example. You can c you can co copy it and kind of 
and, and mimic it pretty easily. You have the option, because this is Samba, S-A-M-B-A, and not something else, S-M-B, SIFs or whatever, this is running on Linux, so it can be totally aware of all of the Unix, built-in Unix file permissions and user permissions, which is nice. So if if you're configuring this for a, for a, you know just one little office or something, one one group of people who need to to kind of collaborate on something via via this file share, then you can you can create users for those people on that computer on that server and give them each a home directory and they can actually have like home directories that they're able to to use on the server to to stash I don't know backups or something like that so they can have kind of their own private little corner on the server via SMB or Samba whatever so that's something that you have the option to do and I, I believe that's a default option in Samba and you can make it browsable by setting that to yes and whenever they try to log into the server they'll be given the option in the list of available shared directories their own home folder I, I, I do use that and it's been kind of handy because in that way people who are working like reporters and people journalists you know who are working on something that's important to them and they want it to be backed up and they want to see that it's backed up and and they kind of want the ability to go back really easily to an older version they can just throw it on their own home directory on this on the server and then if if they screw up their old version or something then they can grab their their backup copy really easily which i mean since the backup script only runs once a day that wouldn't be very useful to them so it's kind of a, a nice useful way for people to be able to manually manage some of their own data which is kind of nice so that's something that i do use now by default the home directories are served as read only so you need to change the flag of read only to equal no. And again, that's very, very well commented. You can't miss it. It's it's quite well explained in the comments of the config file. There's also file creation masks. So by default, it's set to 0700, meaning that the user, the, the owner, is going to see that as readable, writable, and executable, and then any group or anyone else will not have any permissions to it whatsoever. That's fine, but this is a work group. There are other people in the office, so I actually set the create mask to 0755 and the directory mask as well. That actually confused me initially because when I think of a mask, I think of giving a configuration file the inverse of what I want to have created, so a creation mask of 0755 to me doesn't make sense. It, would, it should be 022 in, in my mind. Apparently that's not how this works. I don't know why. But that's what you do. You give it exactly the permissions that you want the file or the directory that you're creating to to be in terms of permissions. There's a really nice breakdown of all the different options and even how they kind of relate to DOS and, and Windows over on O'Reilly.com. If you go to O'Reilly.com slash open book slash Samba slash book slash CH05 underscore 03.html, all kinds of information about the file permissions and attributes and how they kind of relate to one another between the Windows users and the Linux users. That's really it for 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 homes. So so that's kind of a variable. It's not going to come up as home. It's obviously going to be the home of whatever username is logging in. And the username, I just use the same username 
as the Unix username on that system, although we can talk about doing sort of separate Samba users in, in a little while. Right now you've only got a homes directory basically, so if a user logs in, we're saying yes, show them that they can log into their own little private home directory on this server and put stuff into it. And, th and that's fine, but that's probably not really what you're doing a Samba share for. You're probably wanting something where everyone can see a bunch of important files for their sort of little office group or, or whatever group that you're working with. This would just be, you generate this, you, you create it yourself. So let's just call it, I don't know, office folder. So in brackets, and again, you can just copy the the examples from, from the config file, but I'll, I'll just do it from scratch here. So square bracket, office folder, close square bracket, and then give it a comment just for good measure. Comment will be, you know, important office files. Browsable, you would set that to yes. And the path, you would want to give it the Unix path to the folder that you are now deciding, hey, I'm going to share this with everyone. You can work that really any way you want, right? You could put it in slash var, you could put it in slash home, you could put it in slash, well, I don't know where else you'd put it really, but you, you could put it anywhere. So I put it, I, I just made, I make like a, a user called office and give them a home, a directory in the home folder and I make that the shareable directory. I don't know why I do it that way. It's something that I think I accidentally did the first time I was ever configuring Samba and now I just keep doing it that way. Don't know if that's the best way to do it, really, but I just find that kind of convenient for myself. I would imagine slash var would probably make a lot more sense, but we, we won't get into a philosophical debate of where this data really exists. Point is, you want to point the path to wherever you have that directory that everyone is going to be sharing. So, in my case, I've got it set to slash home slash office. Is it read-only? No, so I set that flag to no. The create mask, I'm going to create to 0775 in this case, because I actually want the user to have all the permissions, and I want the group to have all of the permissions, and that's just, again, kind of how I organize things. And there might be a better way or a different way to do that, but that's how I, I do that. And then I go ahead and give read and execute permission to the other, you know, to others, to anyone else, because uh, because of the way that this group works that I have this set up for, but you could, I could imagine you putting that to zero just as easily. The directory mask I have at 0775, I force the group to the, to the group of people who are using this, so I don't know, in this case it's literally reporter is the group, because it's a journalism department and there's lots of people who need to have access to files that someone else may have created so there's a group f that I created for them by default the the users that are permitted to sign on to this samba share that you've that, that you're creating right now is any user that that can sign into the samba server so it would be any unix existing existing unix user on on that server would would be able to log in via samba to see those files. Even so, I explicitly define the users who are permitted to view the Samba share. I don't know why exactly I do this, I just feel better about it. It's a small group, so I can do this. It would be an extra step for me if someone else got hired into that group, and then I had to add them to the server. But it is a small group, and, and I, I, I don't mind having to do that. In a larger install, you probably wouldn't want to do that. And in a larger install, you might need to tweak 
how you're authenticating anyway. So this is one of those things that could be, I mean, it's very flexible, so there's a lot of different ways to do it. But the way that I'm doing it is just, I'm just going kind of along with the built-in system. I mean, it's a, it's Samba, so it was re-implemented by a bunch of Linux users. So it can inherit everything from 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 the Unix systems, which which it does. So I create users on that server for the people that need access to the Samba share in addition to anything else on that server. You can define which of those users get in to Samba by using the valid space users equals flag so, or value. So I, I have valid users equals and then I list the Unix usernames of each person who should be able to sign in. In other words, if I am Klaatu on this server and I don't list myself as a valid user, then I could go in as you know to Samba and not get onto the server, whereas I could then go in via SSH and get onto the server fine. So that's the that's that's the use of valid servers. That's or valid users. That's that's what that flag would 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 do. So I explicitly define valid users. If you do not explicitly define them, then anyone who can get access to the Samba server to to that box can get in via SMB, which you know may be a good thing, may may not be what you want. It just depends. I I would go ahead and use it. I don't know if that's more secure. I don't think it's less secure, but it might be an extra step that you don't actually have to take. But I take it anyway. Another cool thing about Samba is that it can actually share an optical drive across the network, which I thought was kind of nifty. At first, I thought it was kind of weird because it was like, okay, well, who's going to actually use that? And then suddenly we start getting all these computers in without any optical drives. And if you think about it, that's not such an unusual thing anymore. I mean, netbooks all over the place haven't had optical drives for years. So being able to share one optical drive in an office so that when you need to do something like install some kind of weird print, uh, you know, a PPD file or a print driver that, that got shipped with the printer or whatever it might be, then you can pop the CD or the DVD into the optical drive of the server and have everyone log in via Samba to grab the file off of the disk. It's kind of kind of cool. Um, again, I believe that they include a... a an example for this. So they do it like against square bracket, CD-ROM, square bracket, or you could call it optical, you know, whatever you want to call it. The comment, I called it a shared CD. Uh, read only, yes, it is read only, of course. Uh, path equals media slash, or slash media slash CD-ROM zero. Guest okay, uh, no. So that's really all you need in the config file unless you're doing print serving over Samba, and there's a lot of options for that as well, which I've never done. I, I use cups for, for printing. I've never used a Samba box as a print server or a print share, so I really know nothing about that. But it is it would obviously be done in the same kind of area of share share definitions, and that's something that you can look into if you need it. And that's really it for the, for the smb.conf file. There's not a whole lot to it. It's really well commented, and it it kind of makes sense once you sort of look at the logic and and see and see kind of what the intended use of that file of, of the file and sort of the structure of the shared directories. So there you go, and it'll e even make more sense once you start logging in because you'll actually see those little square bracket names that you created. They will they will come up as places you can go while you're connecting to the box via Samba. 
Okay, so there's another file that you should probably f f fill out. It's called Samba Users, or, or I should say SMB Users. And again, on Red Hat slash Fedora, that is in Etsy slash Etsy slash Samba, and then you'll find that file. It might be somewhere else on another system. I, I don't know. But it's SMB Users, and this is a place where you can define the role of a specific user. So it's Unix name equals the Samba name. So in other words, for the root user, R-O-O-T, that would equal, on the Samba side, would be called administrator and admin. So literally the line would be root space equals space administrator space admin. So that's the Unix name equaling SMB name 1, SMB name 2. Nobody on Unix would equal, maybe, guest, PC guest, SMB guest, Clatu would equal administrator, admin. So again, look at the examples included in, in your in your install of Samba, and you'll get the idea. But I just use SMB users to define really who the admin users of Samba are, who, who gets administrative privileges when they sign in. Now you think you'd be done, but actually you're not. There's one more command that I almost always forget. I mean, just all the time I'm forgetting this one. And it is SMB passwd. So it's just like the password command in Unix, you know, when you're setting, you, you created a user and then you want to give them a password to get into the computer. You P-A-S-S-W-D space username and then it asks you to create a password. You hit return and it asks you to confirm it. You hit return and then the password is set. This is exactly like that, but it's a it's obviously a specific Samba password. And if you don't set this, you will not be able to log in. And I have spent an hour adding a user to Samba, putting their name in the configuration file. I'll, I'll desperately give them admin privileges in SMB users. You know, all kinds of stupid things. And then I finally remember that I have to issue SMB P-A-S-S-W-D. Do that. So once you've done all the config files, smb.conf is done, SMB users is done. Now you type in, as you'll probably need to be root on on the server, so you type in smb passwd dash a, if this is the first time you've set a password for this user. The dash a adds the user's name to the password file. Now if you're just changing someone's password, you don't have to use the dash a switch. But if this is the first time you're setting a password for this Samba user, you need to use the dash a switch to add that user to the password file. And then the, the username of the user that you're trying to set this Samba password for, you hit return and then you enter their, their password. Now you're ready. If it's not already on, and even if it is, you should probably do it anyway, you can type, you can restart Samba just to make sure all the changes are kicking in. So on Red Hat or Fedora, it would just be service Samba restart. On some other system, it might be slash etc slash rc dot d slash rc dot samba space restart or whatever. Just depending on however your 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 Linux system does a service restart, etc slash init dot d slash samba restart something like that. Whatever it is, find out how to restart a service on your server if you don't know how to, and do that. And that way, you're sure that all the config files will be read as they have changed. And now you are done. Uh, you should be able to go to any computer on your network, and as long as you can ping that Samba server, 
then you should be able to log into it via Samba. I don't know how to do this on Windows. On Mac, you simply go to the Go menu in the Finder and connect, uh, click Go to Server or Connect to Server or something like that. And then you can manually enter the prefix. So by default, it'll want to use AFP. You can manually say something like, or type in something like SMB colon slash slash and then the IP address or the, the server name if you're doing it that way, and click OK, and it will bring up a selection box of the different shares that you are able to connect to within that, that Samba box. Similar on GNOME or KDE, if you, like on GNOME, if you go to uh, Go Locations, or Go to Location, I think it is, I'm not in front of a GNOME box, and then you, you, you can type in SMB colon slash slash name of the server or the IP address, and you'll connect to the Samba share again. On KDE, you can go into Dolphin and click the uh, URL editor button on 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 the to- at the top of Dolphin. Type in SMB, the name of the IP or the name of the server, the IP address, and log in, and you're on Samba again. Very very simple to do on on the, the operating systems that I'm familiar with. Probably pretty simple to do on Windows as well. I imagine you just go to like Control Panel and and add a network. Place, or maybe you have to map the drive. I don't know. However you do it, that's how you would. However you do normal stuff on Windows, that's how you do Samba on Windows. And it's 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 pretty native all across the board. I mean, on Linux, it's it's fairly native because, like I say, kind of that group. I mean, Jeremy Allison certainly is a huge Linux user, so and supporter. So I mean, it's it's kind of it's got a lot of nice integration there. Mac has uh, taken a number of steps to make it seem fairly integrated on, on on that side and then it is basically i mean it's a windows protocol you know i mean it's it's very very much a a microsoft sort of domain so it, it it's pretty natural to to all of the different oss it acts pretty much the same all across the board so i've i've had good luck with it such as it is okay so what happens if if you've set it up everything seems to be correctly configured and yet you still can't get to to the login prompt for, for your Samba share. Well, what's probably happening is that you're running Red Hat or Scientific Linux or Fedora or something, and you've got either a firewall, well, or I mean on any distribution, you, you could have a, a firewall set up that you're not letting Samba traffic through. Or, if it's Red Hat or Scientific Linux or Fedora, then SE Linux might be standing in your way. So the first thing I would do regardless of distributions, is take a look at your IP tables. Uh, make sure that that's not interfering with anything. If you if if you have to and, and it's safe to do so, stop IP tables. See if you can log in. And if you can, then yeah, it's an IP table rule that is not letting Samba traffic through. So add that. If And then remember to put your IP tables back up uh, with your modification. And then if it's uh, SE Linux then check the server, check your SE Linux log, and you should receive an error in the SE Linux troubleshooter telling you that, yes, something has tried to contact you, but it has raised some kind of SE Linux flag, and if you think that it's okay for that to usually occur, then all you need to do is run this command to change your SE Linux rules. So run the command that the SE, tr- the SE Linux troubleshooter gives you, it will open up, you know, it will change the SE Linux um, 
rule, if I, I'm forgetting the term that they use, but you know it, it changes the SE Linux uh, role and uh, of that service and and permits Samba to function normally. So it's not a big deal. Just just check logs, see what kind of errors you're getting. Uh, I, um, I can almost guarantee that if at this stage Samba's not working, then it's it's either IP tables, but even more likely if it's on a Red Hat based server, then it's SE Linux is just kind of standing in your way. I wouldn't disable it. I would simply change the role of Samba so that it that that the computer sees it as something normal is happening rather than something to to try to stop. And that's how you set up a Samba share. I do hope this has been informative. Thank you very much for listening to Hacker Public Radio. If you have any questions, you can leave them in the comments or you can email me, klatu at hackerpublicradio.org. And um, thank you very much for listening. And remember, if if you want to do an NFS episode, go for it, because I've never used it couldn't tell you how to set it up or how to implement it on any other operating system. Samba, as I've said, it's good for that sort of cross-platform compatibility. Um, that's kind of the reason I use it. I don't have a whole lot to say about it beyond that. I know that it it does fairly well for, for what I need it for. So uh, use it if you got it, and you probably got it. You have been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by a HBR listener like yourself. If you ever considered recording a podcast, then visit our website to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Phenomenon Computer Club. HBR is funded by the Binary Revolution at binref.com. All BinRef projects are proudly sponsored by Lunar Pages. From shared hosting to custom private clouds, go to lunarpages.com for all your hosting needs. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Share Alike, P.O. License.